Well, praise the Lord. I wanted to mention a few things before we continue in the worship service. And one is, um, when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well of Samaria, in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, he made some statements that I think we should not ignore. One is, he says, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that means worship is important. Scripture does say when we enter into his presence, we come with praises and thanksgiving to God. And so there is a way the Lord wants us to enter into his presence with praises and gratitude from our hearts. And um, there is also another scripture in Psalms, I think the 22nd chapter, where David said, the Lord inhabits the praises of Israel. In other words, when we praise, we say praise be to God, God we love you. And, and this is important because you know, we can get into a, a traditional form. I said, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. And I feel like that's praising God. It's like if um, Ethan did something good, and I said, he did something good for me, and I said, thanks, thanks, Ethan, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Ethan, thank you, thank you, thank you. Or, I want to spank him because he did something wrong. I say, spank you, spank you, spank you, spank you. See, that's not spanking him. Um, I need to take words and put it together in order to appreciate. Ethan, you did a wonderful thing. You know that thing you did for me? I thank you so much for it. See, that's putting words together. Praise Ethan, praise Ethan, praise... He don't know what I'm talking about. And a lot of times, traditionally, we develop words, filler words. Well, praise God, praise God, praise... No, no. Praise God is what we need to do, but not by saying praise God. Praising God is taking words and talking to Him. And close my eyes or my open my eyes or whatever, and I say, Father... I'm glad I'm alive today. I don't deserve to be alive, but I gla I'm glad I'm alive and I'm glad that I'm in a church that I can give praise and honor to your name. You've protected me on the highways. You've protected me on the roads. Lord, I want to thank you for saving my life. You see, that is giving God praise and giving putting words, your own words. You don't need big vocabulary. You don't need tremendous language. You just need your simple words. The language you know, God understands. And when you come here and we're singing, uh, give me a nice worship chorus. Um, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, if everybody is singing, thank you, Lord. And I'm, well, you all sing. I'm going to just do the head. No, you need to get them lips. If God inhabits the praises of Israel, it needs to come out from your lips. And you don't have to be ridiculous and shout. But the devil, while you're sitting here, he can lull you to sleep. You ever went on a mental vacation? 
A lot of people do that in church. This praises are going on. I'm thinking what's for dinner. Oh, I'm thinking of something I encountered during the week. Oh, strawberry shortcake. See, a mental vacation, you can sit there in a place where you can utilize it. If you're going to university, Tim, you go to university? You ever sat when your professor is teaching and want a mental vacation? <laughs> so when you go on a mental vacation, do you learn anything? No. No. You're just spaced out. You see, you sit there, and Timothy studies a lot. You see him always look tired because some nights he don't even sleep. I don't know what he's taking. Uh, he must be studying for the ministry. But um, because ministers don't sleep. And so when we come into the church, it's necessary for us to pull our voices together. Close our eyes and appreciate God even for a short while. We'll do that today. How about we all stand and for a little bit we're learning how to worship God. God is a so don't do it just in the flesh. Do it with a spirit of appreciation to God. Today is another good day in our lives. I often in the morning when I rise up and I get a little quiet time to talk to the Lord and that's when most of us are asleep except Brother Sam. Um, I always say, Lord, I thank you that I'm alive. That I could have been gone, I could have been crippled, but I'm alive today and I give you thanks. It's one of those things that your heart is always grateful for. And so this is a beautiful song that we were singing. Yes, Glad our sister Aziman visiting with us today. We go back a far away. Um, can you imagine she used to ride a motorcycle? Yes. <laughs> well, not really a motorcycle. She used to ride a scooter. And um, uh, primary school, was that a Scott school, Scott church school? And uh, we were there and then I felt I needed to work for two years, help my parents and then went full time into the ministry. And uh, that was many, many years ago. And when I said ministry, it's not like going to Bible school or seminary, no. It's going out into the field and preaching the gospel and some people throw rocks on you and you got to run for your life and nobody pays you. You have to trust God for every single venture in your life, for every meal that you partake of. Yes, 
And so when we think about where we're coming from and how many things God has blessed us with, how many times I could have died and God miraculously spared my life, there's a lot to thank God for. I can never be unthankful. And brother saying, you must be a real good guy. No, if, if you're to read everything that happened in my life, you would not even listen to me. But I'm here, one individual that God is saving, has saved, continuously saving. And I pray that God will continue to finish this job in my life until my life is over. Um, it is a reality that we have to face. As we were singing these songs tonight, I thought of um, a scripture in Isaiah 49, and I want you to look at, with me for a little bit here today. In Isaiah 49 and, and uh, verse 1 and 2, the prophet Isaiah is making a statement, and this is so beautiful. We looked at the scripture. I don't want you to flash Isaiah. I want you to find that scripture. Ephesians 1 and verse 4. Ephesians 1 and verse 4. While you have your Bibles before you in Isaiah, um, we're looking at Ephesians. And this was a scripture we touched on uh, last Wednesday night. And it says, according as he, that's the Father, has chosen us in himself, that is, before the foundation of the world. And um, you never so often hear somebody says, well, this world was formed by a big bang theory. You know, and that's okay. Whoever wants to say that, that's fine. That there was a big accident in space, bang, and the world was formed. You know, I looked at a few accidents this week and it didn't look like things were good. All the accidents I know of ended up with a lot of serious injuries or damaged vehicles. But somebody believed that the Big Bang Theory, whatever it was, uh, was something big and boom, and then the Earth was formed. And a lot of other galaxies, but the Earth was formed. And this Earth has a moon circling it, right? As the Earth travels around a sun. So the sun is there, the earth is traveling around the sun, and the moon is traveling around the earth. Isn't that amazing? So here, I'm trying to de demonstrate this, I'm trying to get something. Here is the sun, here is the earth, and the earth is traveling around the sun, going around like this, and coming back to the same position. It never leaves the track, it maintains its uh, it's a journey around the sun and the moon is traveling around the, the earth and when the moon comes in between and its shadow cast is uh, cast on the you know like the re it is blocking out there's a reflection in between we got eclipses and stuff that's how they come can you imagine they never collide and they're hanging in space can you imagine the earth is traveling at a great velocity and we don't fall off? What an accident. Have you ever taken up a little blade of grass and put it under a microscope and see how intricate that blade of grass is? 
and that came by evolution you gotta be kidding to each design there is a designer and I believe that everything in this world, even though sin has corrupted the world, and uh, Brother John was telling us there's coming a time, and Brother Sam did say that too, that there's coming a time when there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And somebody's telling me last night that the person that somebody was telling them that there's one day the whole earth is going to blow up and the sun is going to blow up and everything is gone. Well, in that case, you don't need to come to church because there's no point. But I'm here because it's not going to happen like that. And I believe even though this Bible has been translated and retranslated and put together, and I'm one of the greatest critics of the Bible, because every so often I find something that does not really mesh. And because I've got an Oxford Bible, I can look in the margin and find out what it says. For example, we said, I think we quoted the scripture last night, I think it was, when the enemy shall come in like a flood the Lord shall lift up a for years we quoted that I'm hearing brother John brother Sam you quoted that last night I'm hearing brother John quoting a scripture this morning and then he realized that they didn't say that uh, we were born in sin shaped in iniquity now that's not even a scripture can you believe that we said that for years one preacher said it and he passed on to another preacher and passed on we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity Bible doesn't say that. Bible says we were shapen in iniquity and in sin did our mothers conceive us. Find that one that says um, where the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And you'll find out that that scripture does not speak of the devil. Uh, Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Same here in Isaiah here. You might as well look at that and then I'm coming back to this scripture in a minute here. Isaiah 59, for example, and verse, verse 19. verse 19, let me find that here, verse 19, when the enemy shall, and it says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord, verse 19, it says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And then it says here, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of God shall lift up a standard against him. And it seems like this one is out of place. Because the trend of all the other verses seems to go different than this one. If you have an Oxford Bible, what does it say in the margin? For he shall come as a rushing stream. He shall come, that's Jesus will come, as a rushing stream. Which the breath of the Lord drive it. Nothing to do with the enemy coming in like a flood. But you know, if you don't go check that out, you will say that. And that's okay. If you don't know better, you say that. And until someone points it out. This has nothing to do with the devil. It has to do with the Lord Jesus when he will come back and establish the kingdom of God. When he comes in, the breath of God is driving Jesus. And there are so many other areas of the Bible. But then I love the book because it's, a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's like a complex parable. And if you're blind, you can't see it. And that is why the disciples came one day to Jesus and says, Why are you teaching the people in parables? Because you're talking about agriculture and they go home and tell their family, what did Jesus talk about today? Talk about planting corn. 
No, he did not. You see, he said a soul went out a soul, but the interpretation of that parable, some seed fell on the wayside and the birds of the air picked them up. Some fell on, on stony ground and they started to grow, but they had no root. And some fell among thorns, and while they were growing, thorns clustered them and hindered their progress of growth. And then some fell on good ground, and it blossomed. So here the Pharisee goes home, his wife says, What did Jesus talk about today? He talked about agriculture. But when Jesus had some quiet time and he pulled his disciples across, and they said, What does this parable mean? He says, Well, I am the son of God that's giving you the word. I'm sowing the word in your life. Your soul, your mind, your spirit, you're the soil. And when I sow the word of God in your life, if you're sitting there and your soil is just wayside, you're not paying attention, you're just wandering, going on a mental vacation, the word of God, even though it's beautiful and strong, it would fall on wayside and the devil, demons, would take that away. Before you hit the road, you forgot what was preached. Wayside. Second soil is stony ground. Well, you missed the worship, so your soil was not prepared to receive the seed. And when the, we are all like stony ground, and that is why we need the worship. That is why we need to ask God to touch our minds. Because God is a? And they that worship him? Worship him in spirit, first of all, then in truth. And so, because the, the, I hear the word and it's wonderful, I got a good message today, but there's no depth. It just comes and it lands there, and then when the little sun come up, persecution come up, it withers and dies because there is no root foundation. The third one, I'm a good child of God. Praise the Lord. I, you see, and one of the things we do in church is, I take notes. Brother John, where's your notebook? Oh my God. This is Brother John's notebook. And he's got maybe about 50 to 60 to 100 of these home. That over the years, he, you know, he writes his first part, February the 25th, Brother Singh, Sister Chantry. He writes the name of every individual. You know what name you left out here, Brother John? Jesus. <laughs> and not even the devil. See, both came. Thank you, Brother John. But you understand, you take notes because our human minds cannot capture everything. And so when you, you look at your notes and hear somebody sitting and they get all the message and everything and they understand the word, they receive the blessing. Oh God, that was a good message. But when they go, they crowd their lives with all kind of fickle things and it dries up. When the word of God wants to grow, there are thorns choking the growth. Now apart from being an artist, I told you I was an artist, right? I'm a gardener. And I'm already looking at the tulips that I have coming up. And I have the most beautiful variety of tulips. And you know, now I'm getting up in age when I bend and I can't get up again. And so the garden is lacking uh, all attention. But as a gardener, 
You don't just throw seeds. You have to till the soil. You have to make sure, <clears throat> and if you go out to church, you'll see two trees, right? One here and one there. Um, we planted them from scratch. Chandri and I, we planted this one and Indira, right? We went and planted, we got this one, this one here, skinny little tree we planted years ago. It's called a sunburst locust, locust. And so we planted this one and every time the breeze would blow, if the breeze is coming from that side, Mr. Locust goes this way. Breezing, blowing from this side, he goes on this way. And he's lying almost flat. So he put two wooden stakes. And even the wooden stake wouldn't keep because sometimes the wind get high. Then I put metal stakes. And if you go out there now, you try to blow on it. That tree has been there for 30 years almost. And it is strong. And we got that because we liked what we saw. We didn't know it was going to mess up the front of the church so bad. And then <clears throat> I have a birch at the back of my house. It's actually the neighbor's birch that's mostly on my side. I love the birch. I'm allergic to the flowers, but I love the birch. And Brother Gregory and I went and we saw a little birch plant. You know, it's under the birch tree, so it's a birch plant. And we picked it up and Brother Gregory planted that one there. Does it look like a birch? We got took. We thought it was a birch, but it's a bush. That big tree out of the side there, it's really wild. I don't even know what you call it. It's all along the highway. I don't know how it got under my birch plant and we thought it was a birch. You see, to be a gardener, You've got to know some things. You've got to know when to plant. I've got sitting in the office right now an orchid that has already bloomed, finished its days, took it downstairs, had a light there, feed it, fertilize it, and I bring it up upstairs and it's almost ready to rebloom. Orchid. It's to me the most beautiful flower you can find. And so it's about to bloom. And I've got a few more. I've got a bougainvillea downstairs that's there about eight years now. I take it out every spring, put it in front of my house and let it grow again and bloom again. The most beautiful blooms. Well, Jesus taught this parable. And if you don't know what you're planting, and I had a friend at Parkway Place when I worked there. He says, Desmond, I bought some tomato plants and I planted them. I said, but you have place. He said, I put them all in a pot. He says, you got to come and see. So I went up and Mr. Anderson, he's passed away now. I went and saw in this little pot like this, he had a hundred tomato plants. <laughs> so I said, they will not grow. They will choke each other. I said, take it all and just leave one. He says, you gotta be kidding. I bought them all. I said, have fun. You think they would last? No. All he needed for a pot that size was one tomato, tomato, tomato plant in the middle. And so Jesus told this parable because you can sit here and be blessed, but you crowd your life up with a lot of things and it chokes the word of God. Can't grow. And then the final soil was the good soil. That when the word of God went there, it grew and brought forth three kinds of numbers. 30, 
60 and 100 fold. And I feel that parable is very symbolic because 30, 60 and 100, I think 100 fold is the bride of Christ. I think 60 fold is the second phase of the first resurrection. 30 fold are the terrestrial company that lives on this planet. That's my conclusion. The Bible doesn't say that, but that's my conclusion. And so I love to understand the word of God to be critical sometimes to find out if it really says what it is saying. And if Matthew is really correct when he's saying something different than Matthew, than Mark. And if Luke has information that the, the other gospel writers don't have, I need to solve that out. And what Solomon said, he said, the pre because the preacher was wise, he sought out and set in order many proverbs, hard sayings. That's my job. I'm not a mechanic. I do a little bit. I'm not a plumber. I do a little bit. I'm a preacher. My job is to study the Word of God and to know it, that the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they that seek the law should seek it at his mouth. And I would like to know, I come to the place where the Word of God, when I stand, the Word of God is on my lips. And so here we're looking at a scripture, and beautiful, and I know where I'm going with this lesson today. And on Wednesday night, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. And it says, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. According, everyone, according as he, the Father, has chosen us in himself, that is, the Father, before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, God knew you. Well, I don't think anybody need me, know me, I'm not popular. In God's mind, you're popular. In God's mind, you're special. Well, nobody likes me. That's okay. God loves you. And you see, next weekend, I want to open this church, and listen to me, young people. I want to open this church on the Sunday for an altar call that if any young man or young lady in this church wants to come and says, please, Help me to give my life to Jesus. We'll open the service for that, that you can come up and say, I want to ask Jesus to help me in my life. It's not going to be a hocus pocus, you know, like, hey, I'm a devil today and angel tomorrow. Oh, no, it takes time for salvation to work its process in your life, yes, in your mind and in your spirit. And so God knew you before the world was. He has known you, chosen you, not only known you, but chosen you before the foundation of the world, that you'll come to the place, you right now might be unholy, but his job is to make you holy. Amen. Hannah wrote something, she said something, and I'll leave that now and finish with that, uh, in, in uh, 1 Samuel, and I'm coming back to Isaiah in a minute here, but in 1 Samuel, uh, she Hannah, one of the two wives of Elkanah, is it? Yes. And uh, there were two wives. This man had two wives. <laughs> and somebody says, I wish I was living in that day. No. Yeah, wives today are very expensive. Right, Sister Chandri? No. No? <laughs> See, wives today are very expensive. And if you ain't got a good job and got a good source of income, you're in trouble. And don't ever give them more than one credit card. 
You hear that, Braden? When you decide, God, they're expensive. But you know what? We, what are, can we do in life without the wife? Nothing, but Moses answers me. He says, nothing. We can't do anything. We don't know how to live with them, and we can't live without them. I know how to live with them. I know she was telling me today, I got up and I'm trying to help in the house and doing that big porcelain floor tile that you got. And she's not there, but I'm starting. I go quietly behind when she's gone up, and I'm there with a special mop working. And then she came down and caught me. She says, are you preparing just in case I'm gone before you? I said, no, no, no. I'm just doing, trying to make the place tidy. But we can't exist. I almost forgot how to iron my shirt. I, there's, you, you, can we exist without mom? Aren't we glad that she's there? But you know, it is so important that we understand these things. And Ruth was one of the... Hannah, sorry. Where are we? For Samuel. Hannah was one of the wives of Elkanah. He had two uh, wives. And one was, one was um, Penina and the other was Hannah. And Penina had kids, but Hannah was barren. And so Hannah went into the temple to pray and ask God for a child. She was barren. It's amazing how many times God bypassed the biological conditions that is required for childbearing and has blessed people. Now here is one. Hannah was one. Do you know Sarah, the, the mother of all that came out of Abraham's lineage? She was barren. Do you know Elizabeth that bore John the Baptist was barren? And it, it seems like God has made choices. He always chooses the difficult path. And that is what I know about God. If he gives me a path to walk on, it's not one free of trouble. When a preacher gets up and says, well, God wants you healthy and wealthy, he's a liar. Uh, if you're non-elect, you might be healthy and wealthy, but God gives you challenge. That's why Jesus said, if any man will be my disciple, let him take up his cross. Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The path of serving God is not easy. Uh, someone said the heights of great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, toil onward in the night. Nothing good comes easy. Somebody says salvation is free. Not so, my friend. The greatest price paid of all the existence of mankind was the price Jesus paid for your salvation and mine by shedding his own blood for our salvation. It's, there's nothing really free. Uh, somebody has to pay for it. And so when we understand that, and so Hannah went into the temple and she prayed and while she was there early, there was no church. She went in the temple and was there, and the priest was in the, his office, and he came out and he saw this woman, blah, 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 blah. And she looked like she's crying. Is she drunk? I have preached recently a message on strange fire, that if you have not listened to that, you need to listen to it. Amazing message. And... Um, 
But Hannah, she was praying and her lips were moved. And Eli came out and he said, Woman, you're a drunkard woman. Put away your wine. It's early in the morning. Why are you drunk? Was she drunk? Was the preacher right? No. He was wrong. And she looked at him and she says, Not so, my Lord. She he just made a mistake and accused her as being a drunkard. She says, Not so, my Lord. Your handmaid is a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I'm here praying because I need a child. Because the other wife of my husband, she's getting kids and I'm having none. See, I believe in prayer. I really believe in prayer. And when there is a difficult case, I pray for that difficult case all the time. You might not know this, Sister Dorothy, but I pray for you all the time. I pray for everyone. Melanie, I pray for you, my dear, all the time. And it is so important to understand these things, that your burden is taken to God in prayer. I don't have miracle powers that when I touch your head, you all get transformed. No, but I can pray. And God answers prayers. He really does. Yes. And so when she explained herself to Eli, he said, well, I'm so sorry that I accused you. Did he say that? No. no. He said, listen, woman, go to your house and may God grant you the desire of your heart. And she went home and she got pregnant. And she made a promise to God. She said, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And then she came. When the boy was out of diaper stage, you know, and he's able to manage on his own, she brought him back to the temple with a big offering to the temple. And she gave it, and uh, uh, Eli was there. And she says, I hand him back to the Lord. I lend him to the Lord. And that's where the prophet Samuel, the man of God, came from. Uh, the woman travailing before God. And so when she was getting blessed, uh, Hannah, uh, sorry, um, Hannah, she opened her mouth and she said in chapter 2, verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Because she's got her son. She bring him, bring an offering with him. And she says, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted because of the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. Because I rejoice in thy salvation. What a woman. You know, you'll be surprised to know some women in this Bible are remarkable women. And she went on verse 2. She said, there's none holy as the Lord. Now that's praising God. And she said, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. My gosh, what a wonderful and she says, to, this is for those that criticize her. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by him, your actions are weighed. And when I stand here to preach the gospel, I'm not here to preach me. Even though my life and my experiences are critical to the gospel I preach. I'm not here to make you have confidence in me. My job 
is to allow you to have confidence in the gospel I preach and in the God I serve. Because I can do nothing for you more than preach the gospel, but he can do all things. And Hannah went on here, she says, uh, she says, actions are weighed. She says, the bowls of the mighty men are broken. The great strong guy, he is ready to, he's ready to shoot the bow. You know, he, he can shoot a strong bow. And she says, the bow is broken. When your bow is broken, you can shoot squat. No matter how powerful you are, God can break your bow. And you think you're powerful, but God breaks your bow. And a lot of time, he reaches into our lives and saves us. By breaking that thing, the thing in which we boast in. And then he goes on here, as she went on here, and she says, while the mighty man, his bow is broken, the one that is stumbling and can't walk straight, he is girded with strength. And that is why you give up on one, and you praise the other one, and that one goes down, and this one survives. I've seen this all my life. I've seen individuals that come on in and they're championing the church and then they're gone when a storm hits them. And I've seen one that nobody knows they're there. Right? Not a big fish. And I'm going to pick on somebody here today. Let me, let me praise Brother Sinbad sitting at the back. Brother Sinbad which degree, what school you went to for your degree? No school? You sure? Primary school. Primary school. You, you, you finish school or you drop out? He dropped out even primary school. Here is, in the world, he's a loser. In my eyes, he's a winner. Amen. I met this man over 50 years ago. Was my neighbor. And he has continuously stood by my side for over 50 years. Great men have come, great men have gone. Sinbad continues, and his wife, of course. <clears throat> Isn't that something? See, in the world, in the eyes of the world, you're not great. You didn't finish nothing. In the eyes of God, you're a winner. The mighty men, their bows got broken. The one who's stumbling and can't seem to make it, he survives to the end. And that is why the scripture says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Brother John told us of the race. Uh, he says the race. He was a marathon runner. Uh, one day I see him coming with a trophy or something. <laughs> you know, uh, this was in early days. He'd go run before church on a Sunday. And then he win the race. He wins all day. Get all the sinners look up to him. And he goes back. I hope you tell him you're a Christian, that's why you win. But um, he comes in with a trophy. And I've seen that. I'm never athletic. I never like sports. And every time I turn my radio on, Chandri, what comes on? Every time I turn my radio on, what comes on? Games. Games, sports. Somebody say, yeah! <laughs> turn it off. And that's because I had to finish high school, right? And I didn't go into sports. My friends are playing. They play cricket, volleyball, whatever they're doing outside. 
the silly boy is studying. And I finish high school in three and a half years rather than five. And when I left my friends, I looked at them, leaving all of them remaining in high school, growing mustache. I'm out teaching when I was 16. Got kids bigger than me. And in my country, you use the cane. That's right. Use the cane. It's my gospel, right? And um, one day the door opened up. I'm sitting up there just before school opened up. And this door opened up. And a woman comes through. Short, stumpy lady. She says, morning, teacher. I said, good morning. She said, where is Mr. Singh? I said, um, I was about 20 right? 19, 19 years old. I said, why you want to see Mr. Singh? Because he beat my daughter. I said, so you're here to beat him up? She said, no, I want to have a word with him. He said, I'm Mr. Singh. She said, don't make joke. I said, I am Mr. Singh. She looked at my size, puny little guy sitting there. I said, who is your daughter? She said, Sita. I said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put Sita at the back of the class where the dunce people stay, and I'm not going to spank her. And she looked at me. She says, beat them. <laughs> and the whole family got converted. The whole family got converted. The father was an alcoholic that could never stop drinking. And one day I went to the house, couldn't get him sober. I got him drunk and I took him upstairs in the house and put him to kneel on a chair and I prayed for about three hours until he became sober. Can you imagine a man sobering up and a preacher is praying over him? And he never touched another drop in the rest of his life until he died. God answers prayers. And Hannah is prophesying here and this is so beautiful. And this is where we are talking about today. And, and she said, they that are full today have hired themselves out for bread. Empty tomorrow. God has a way. He works. And they that were hungry cease from being hungry. The barren has borne seven children. And she which had many children is wax feeble. God has a way. He makes a way for his children. Chosen in God for redemption plan. You're chosen. If God has chosen you before you were even born. It's God will save you. I'm not worried about that. I'm patient enough to wait. And she went on here. She said the Lord kill it and make it alive. He bring it down to the grave and he bring it up. The Lord make it poor and he make it rich. He bring it low and he lift it up. And this is the verse that I really want to mention here. He raised the poor out of the dust. This is how God works. Salvation, he takes a poor man that's in the dust, can make any, any, any progress in life. He lifts lift the poor out of the dust and takes the beggar from the dunghill. Back there they didn't have toilets, they had dunghill. People go and 
garbage and dung and human refuse, all of that is put up. And sometimes a hungry man, a beggar, goes and sees somebody throw away a half-rotten banana that he could pick up and eat. And God takes a man from the dunghill, lift a beggar from the dust, they lift a man from the dust and a beggar from the dunghill. And what God makes out of him? And set him among princes to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillar of the earth are the, Lord, of the, earth are the Lord's. In other words, no matter who you are, God can take you from one condition. All the world can condemn you. That is not a problem. If God is saving you, he does a good job. He really does. And so back here in, uh, was it Isaiah? Isaiah 49, was it? In Isaiah 49 and verse 1, Isaiah is making a statement. And here's a prophet. And you wonder, when was this man chosen of God? It says, listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, you people, from, from far. The Lord has called me from the womb. Remember we read about... Uh, uh, John the Baptist, Luke records that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. It's amazing. Isaiah, when were he, was he called? He was chosen from the time he was still a fetus. That's God. Before the foundation of the world is a wonderful thing, but chosen from the womb. He is called from the bowels of my mother had he made mention of my name. Now Isaiah was not given a name Isaiah because some papa wanted him. He got the name Isaiah because God made that choice. You know when um, we were at a funeral yesterday and um, I like to tell people what my name is. My name is Desmond, first name, last name Singh. And I didn't have time to explain that I don't wear a turban like all the, every other Sikh. I'm not a Sikh, but I don't know why my dad got that name. And I always say, I don't know why they call me Singh. And people used to come in when they see the name Singh on the, on the signboard, they come and expect a turban. And they get disappointed and they leave. And my name Singh does not draw people, it drives people away. But you know who chose that name? God did. I blame my dad, I tell him, why did you name me Singh? Why didn't you call me something else, Passat or something? No, God did that to help my spirit and to give some people a reason to walk away and for the elect to come on in. That name was chosen. Your name was chosen. And, and the Isaiah says, He had made my mouth like a sharp sword. Well, not only Isaiah, I think my mouth is a sharp sword. I was telling Brother Moses today, when he says I'm an icon, they call me something like an icon in Africa. You know, they call me, an icon. I said, that can't be right. And then, but Sam came up with the word, and then I went when I went on Wikipedia, I found iconoclastic. When you're iconoclastic, it means you got a sharp tongue that you destroy tradition, and that's what Isaiah was. 
Am I saying the right word? Iconoclastic? Isaiah was an iconoclastic. He got a sharp tongue. Who do you think Jesus was? Iconoclastic. He reached into the traditions of the Father and he says, Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. Don't follow the fathers anymore. I am the bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he'll never die. They hated him and they killed him. Isaiah was the same. Paul was the same. Every prophet that God raised up was the same. Because if traditions are brought in that the devil has started, then somebody's got to rise up and challenge those traditions and destroy them. Yes. Amen. And it goes on here, he says, He had made my mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand had he hid me, and made me to, uh, as a polished shaft, and his quiver had he hid me. In other words, God has chosen Isaiah from his mother's womb. Uh, turn over to Jeremiah, the first chapter. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. You know we're not going further than this here today. But um, this is a good day to be in God's house. In Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, Jeremiah, the Lord is choosing Jeremiah. And the Lord says uh, to Jeremiah, he says, the word of the Lord, words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in those days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days, and he goes on to say, but it says in verse 4, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, God is telling Jeremiah that he called him. He says, next verse, he says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. What a God. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is immutable. He is omnipresent. But here he is omniscient. He knows all things. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without God knowing. There's not a hair that falls off your head. In other words, he doesn't count your hair, but he has all knowledge. That's God. He is the embodiment of all knowledge. He said, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee. And I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. This is so beautiful. Uh, Paul made a statement here in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, turn with me quickly. You wanna, we got less than 10 minutes to go. And I'm going to be finished talking to you. In Galatians chapter 1, uh, Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia, and he said here in chapter 1 and verse um, 15, he says, But when it pleased the Lord who separated me to the gospel he was preaching from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Paul was called from his mother's womb. You see, it shows how powerful the sovereignty of God is. You might be sitting here today and don't think you're important. No, my friend, you are important. God thinks you're important. Amen. I'm not concerned about society. 
I'm concerned about how God thinks. And when I'm looking at these examples in scripture, it is amazing how God works. One last scripture quickly in, uh, in Psalms 139. David writes here, and uh, you know, we don't have enough time to get all of this done. I'll see what I can do with this. In Psalms 139, David writes, and he makes a statement like this. <clears throat> He says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. You know, we sing that song. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. God really don't need to search you. He knows you. But you pray, O God, please check my heart and search me. And David said to the Lord, he says, search me and know me. Thou knowest my, when I'm down sitting, when I'm not doing good, and when I'm having good days and my uprising, thou understandest my thoughts afar off. When I think nobody knows what I'm thinking, God knows. And it goes on, he says, thou compassest my path. Uh, in other words, God uh, um, compasses my path and my lying down, thou art acquainted with all my ways. There's nothing that you can do that God is not aware of. And if God was a sadist, or say this like some people say, he would kill you every time you think evil, then none of us would be alive. The heart of man is desperately wicked, the scripture says, above all things. I have a young man here, his name is Joshua. Tall and strong, I wish I had him to walk around with me when I'm preaching in foreign countries and my life is in jeopardy. I was looking at some clips, photos I took in Haiti the last time I went. And you need, when I go to Haiti, the brothers, the Haitian brothers from America, they go ahead and wait for me. Because when I go, they want me to be safe. And I'm looking at Joshua and I told him Joshua is a strong name because that young man followed Moses when all Israel chose to do otherwise. He's one of my champions in the Bible. And David went on here, he says, for there is not a word in my tongue, but O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before. You know what I'm going to do 20 years from now and you know what I did in the past. See, God inhabits eternity without a distinction of present, past, or future. God, we occupy time. God made time. So he doesn't get old. You get old, I get old. But he created time. He's looking at time like I'm looking at this, this uh, podium here from one end to the other. He sees the time he sees you were born and he knows when you're going to get converted. He knows when you get into trouble. He knows if you're going to be martyred and he knows when you'll be resurrected. And that is why you have to have confidence in God. And David went on, he says, such knowledge... I can't even, even fathom it. He says, it's too wonderful me for me. It's, it's so high I cannot attain. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave or hell, behold, thou art there. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the farthest, remotest part of the world. He says, he says, 
Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. He says, If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light unto me. Isn't that something? When you think the darkness, is, my days are not good. Days are bad. I did something wrong and I'm so guilty and I feel so condemned. And I, when I look up, I see the bottom. Even in darkness, God becomes the light in your darkness. When you learn to trust God, it removes your confidence in people and it puts your confidence in God. And when you don't think, when you look to the right and you don't see progress, you look to the left and it looks like everything is going wrong, back forward, everything is going wrong, then look up. That is why David said, and this is another scripture, uh, the scripture says, I will look, lift mine eyes onto the hills. I think the translators messed that up. The hills had pagan worship. I sh it should read, I will lift up mine eyes unto the Lord, not unto the hills. For my help cometh from the... See, there's another iconoclastic word. <laughs> I will lift up mine eyes unto the Lord, not the hills. From the Lord cometh my strength. Amen. You look to the right, left, north, south, all over the place. It's dark. Then lift up your, your eyes unto the Lord. He does help. And he goes on here. I want to finish this quickly here. It says, surely, uh, I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be light unto me. God, uh, David said, yet the darkness hideth not from thee. Uh, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness as the light are both alike to thee. God, it not, doesn't matter what it is. For thou, everybody, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me, when? From my mother's womb. Isn't that amazing? If you're in the elect child of God sitting, listening to me today, you were chosen when you were in your mother's womb. God decided what your name was going to be. And how you were going to live your life. And which part of your life. He's going to come into your life. And make that change. There's a time. Paul persecuted the church. And there was one day God says. Okay enough with that Paul. You're going to turn around and preach the gospel. Against the same. Uh, to the people that you persecute. Couldn't believe it. But it happened. And David went on. He says. Verse 14. I will praise thee. Every one of us should read this aloud. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul know it right well. My substance or my bones were not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Verse 17, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, the, the, and gr how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand that is in the seashore. He says, I awake and I'm still with thee. Isn't this wonderful? When at the psalmist David, he says, I can't even count how many times God think of me. You check the sand? You ever try to check the sand? Grab a little spoonful of sand and see if you can count that many grains. Well, all the sand in the world cannot compare with how much God thinks of you Amen. and how much he loves you. 
It's nice talking to you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for another day in your presence. We thank you that you think of us. And I bring every child of God bowed before you here today in this church and over the internet, Lord, whoever is listening, that you would let us understand how valuable we are in your sight. We might feel we are nothing. We might feel we are beggars roaming the dunghill of life. But Father, you're so wonderful. And you can take us and make us a citrus princess. Make us a pillar in your coming kingdom. Let these words not return void unto thee, but accomplish its purpose and plan in every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.